uh, one of the greatest ministries we have in the Gathering Place Church is our small groups, the connect groups. And uh, I just got a report from uh, Mark and Shelley who oversee our connect group ministries. And we have 77% of our church body is in connect groups. That's an, that's an astounding percentage. And uh, we're going for 80%, so a few more of you need to jump into connect groups. Today is Connect Group Sunday. We're launching uh, all of our new Connect Groups uh, today. And uh, But I wanted to ask Chris, being you're already up here, you talked to me about your experience with Connect Group this last quarter. Now, you led a Connect Group. And uh, tell us just uh, very briefly what that experience was like for you. Well, I, um, I really did not want to be in a connect group, just to be honest. Um, I'd heard great things about them, um, but just a lot going on in my life. And I just felt like, okay, I've got friendships in the church. Um, I don't need to take another day out to, um, you know, sit down with a group of folks from the church. I just, I really had no interest at all. That's just pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and I felt even bad about that, but, uh, um, and to be dead honest, the first couple (laughs) connect group meetings is just like, kind of going through the motions, but uh, something, um, it sounds kind of corny and silly, but something got inside of me, mm. and um, it in, ended up being the thing I look forward to the most uh, through the week, because it just, I don't understand how, how it happens, but um, you end up really, really caring about the people that you're with in those groups, and uh, it, it just became something very, very special, and so now it's something that I, I move Obviously, all of my schedule to to make that time free, but uh, we even had to move our date from what it was, and everyone was like, yeah, 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 because they realized a couple folks couldn't make it to the, to the meeting time that we had, but it's just become a, a really, really uh, special You thing. know, one of the things that really spoke to me about that, I know you told me about the, like after the third week, you called me up and you said something profound happened last night. The Holy Spirit just descended on our group, and it changed me. I get it now, is what you said. I get it. The community thing, you get it. And uh, then I heard that you had to take another job, which made it so you could not have it on that night, and you were just not going to do a connect group this quarter. But then you said, I don't want to live without this, so you changed the night to another night where you could lead that group, and everybody is coming right along. So that's just awesome, Chris. Good job. Amen. Hey, guys, also in uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, we have the men's retreat, and I want to invite encourage, draw all the men from our congregation up to the mountaintop with me and with Mark and with Gary and uh, with Les. And uh, we want to go up there and just have a great time with the men of the church. And I have the, the Lord's put a word on my heart for you specifically. So I'm going to ask you to do whatever you can. If you really just cannot afford it, you are really strapped, then uh, come and talk to me and we'll see what we can work out. Because we want to get all the guys up there on the mountaintop together it's just for a short time. Friday evening to Saturday evening, we come back down the hill, but it's going to galvanize us. We're going to hear from God together and come down as a band of brothers. Amen? Hey, um, I'm going to turn it over to Alan in just a moment, but I want to give you a brief report of Mexico. Uh, you know, there's about 60 churches that we help oversee down there, and I've been down there for about 10 years uh, working with these pastors and these churches. It is just, uh, it's just a big time, but... It's great to be back, but I want to tell you what happened down there because it was very profound. I've been working down with these churches for about 10 years now, and when there was an apostle who pioneered these churches from scratch about 60 years ago, and then he died. And the Lord moved me into that position to help serve these churches, and I've been doing it for about 10 years. But they were so doggone religious, and there were so many traditions that were stopping the move of God. And I have never, and I'm not overstating this, I have never felt God on me more powerfully or speak through me more prophetically 
in any other ministry in my life, as in this organization. And yet things were just really, um, I mean, we'd get this momentum moving forward and all of a sudden it would just shut down. And it was so frustrating that every year I've said to the Lord, can this be the last year I go down? And uh, then he would speak to me again and he would move me deeper into it. So before I left two Sundays ago, you guys prophesied over me. Gary, you prophesied that you have all your sermons already prepared, but God's going to say something unique. Well, I never have all my sermons already prepared, but this time I did. I was going to meet with the pastors. I asked them to come and meet with me for two days. And so 36 pastors came from around Mexico and uh, met with me for two days. And the Lord gave me a specific spontaneous word. And it was so confrontational, yet I knew it was the Lord. And he gave me a specific verse that I preached into uh, the pastors. And it was one of those where, like, you know, Paul says you have many teachers but one father. And do you want me to come with a, a paddle or do you want me to come with love? It was one of those words, but I knew it was the Lord. I sat down and I checked my emails as Mario uh, got up to speak. And I checked my emails. It was one of the intercessors in our church, um, Mary Poplava, who was partnering with me. And she said, I woke up this morning and God put the scripture on my heart. And I looked at it and it was the exact scripture I had just preached to the brothers. She said, I believe it was for the pastors down there. So I stood, I stood back up and said to all the pastors, look at one of the intercessors just sent to me. Letting them know God is really speaking to you. God really has a future for you. Then the next day, I felt strongly that the Lord wanted me to do something I've been wanting to do for 10 years. And that is to talk to them about killing the dead traditions that you've had in this organization for 60 years. Because the next 10 years have got to be different. And God has a future for us that's just dynamic. Now... Mark had mentioned to me, or you prophesied over me two Sundays ago, that some of the older men that will not change don't sow into them anymore. There's going to be young people that are raised up. Well, what was interesting was when these 36 pastors were there with me for the first time, there were a bunch of young 20-somethings. I'd never seen them before. And they were all there with their pens and their paper and they're listening to every word I said. And then I said, I want to pray for you. And these two young men, young 20 somethings, I thought they were walking out. They walked right up front, walked right in front of me and just went like this. It was just the most remarkable thing. All right. Now the following day, this is the last thing I'll say, but this is profound. The following day, I was really going to, by the, by the direction of the Lord, draw a line in the sand and say, you're either with us or you're not. The, the Lord will not tolerate you holding back the move of God anymore. And we're moving forward. Now, look, I'm a nice guy. I like to be kind and gentle and soft. This was not one of those moments. I was going to do that the following day. The previous night, I was talking to some pastors out on the street. And one of them said, uh, Brother John, I had a dream last night. I said, oh, what was the dream? This is just unbelievable. He said, uh, now you have to understand, up to this point, I've been very trepidatious. I've been in my hotel room just saying, God, are you sure you want me to be this forceful? The dream, he said, I had a dream and there was a tombstone and there was an American standing behind the tombstone. And in the grave, and then the president of the organization, Joaquin, was standing right next to you. And in the grave, the dirt was going up and down like there was still something barely alive. So you guys started digging it up, but it stunk so bad that you put it back in the grave. And then the dream switches to Joaquin, who's the, my main guy down there, walking up to the funeral home, and all these youth were following him. Wow. Now, what's the interpretation of that? <laughs> so I stood up the next day, and I said, okay, the apostle that birthed this organization is dead. 
I am now here, whether you like it or not, I'm God's choice for you. This is God's choice. And Joaquin is Joshua, and you can come if you want. But the youth are going to lead this organization for the next 10 years, and we need you to mentor them if you please would. Amen? It was powerful. And we had a great couple of meetings. People bust in from all over Mexico. It was so powerful. But this is the last thing I'll say. Every year... I have not wanted to go back down, and for the first time, I can't wait to get back down there, and I'm looking forward to the next 10 years. It is awesome. So, can we all stand, and let's, is that south? I want to pray over these churches, okay? Just like we've adopted the R.C. Aromo people in Ethiopia, we are now going to really believe for the next 10 years, south is this way, for the next 10 years, over these churches down in South Mexico, these are precious churches that are doing a great work for God. They represent... Uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of believers. So let's just stretch our hands out toward the south. Father, we lift now. Just begin to pray. Okay, don't, don't, don't pray like you're praying for your favorite TV show to come out tonight. Pray for souls right now. Begin to pray. Come on. I want to hear your voices. Let's pray for these churches. God, we lift up Joaquin and Mario. We lift up all these pastors, these 36 pastors. We lift up the youth. We lift up the young men and women who are going to lead this organization, God, for the next two to three decades. Father, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on these churches like you have desired to pour out for years, God. Lord, I spoke your word as you wanted it spoken, and I saw it strike the hearts of these young people. They are excited. Lord, stir them up. Raise up apostles. Raise up prophets. Raise up pastors and teachers and evangelists, God, throughout this organization. We pray, oh God, that the religious uh, spirits that have held this organization back would die and that you would raise up God, new young men and women with a vision for the evangelization of the country of Mexico. Father, we pray that you raise up prophetic voices, raise the dead God, pour out a miraculous anointing on those churches and on those pastors. We pray, Father, the pastors who are weary, give them fresh vision, God. Let them see the young people around them and raise them up and give them a chance to succeed. Father, thank you so much for what you did this weekend. We embrace these churches and we declare them prosperous and blessed in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Will you remain standing just for a second? We had such a privilege to have Alan Vincent with us today. Alan just celebrated his 80th birthday. He has also been married for 57 years. Is that correct? And he's been in ministry over 50 years. And look, what I just shared with you about me overseeing these churches, that is like a drop in the ocean compared to what Alan, what God has done through Alan. Uh, through Alan, God has literally planted thousands and thousands of churches all throughout India, all throughout Africa, all throughout Europe. He is an apostle, a modern-day apostle, who God has done so much through. And it is such a privilege to have him in the house here today. So, Alan, we welcome you at the Gathering Place Church. Come and minister us, brother. Let me turn you off. Yeah, do that. Thank you. I'm on. Thank you. Well, I'm... For those of you who have not heard, I've come through a major crisis in my health just a few days ago. 
I had uh, um, cataract surgery 10 years ago and it was very successful and I go for an annual checkup just to see if it's just fine and it always is and but when I went for my annual checkup just just over two weeks ago the uh, consultant went into a panic and uh, said you've got a serious condition developing in both eyes which is called macular degeneration which is when your retina starts to disintegrate and bleed and he said it's in both eyes and uh, there's, there isn't an easy cure but there's some new injections which have just been discovered that can possibly halt it uh, they very rarely reverse it but, uh, and so um, I'm stuck with this at the moment I'm, I am totally confident that God doesn't want me to spend my last three years on earth blind Amen and uh, so I'm finding a battle and uh, I, have, I'm, I've, I have the word of the Lord and I'm waiting for the manifestation of that healing I've prayed for quite a few blind people and seen them healed I've prayed for people with this condition even since I got it and seen them healed <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just carrying on I'm, nothing's going to stop me but I just have to apologize because I can hardly see because of the injections I just had two days ago um, so I can see sort of vague shadowy shapes of your faces um, I can't read my Bible which is the biggest pain um, so I'm going to be preaching by faith and not by sight <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and I, I wondered whether I should uh, cancel this and just go into you know, retirement but I felt I should I still wanted to come I believe God wants me here Amen so just bear with me and uh, I've got a little magnifier that helps a little bit um, but most of the Bible is hid in my heart Amen it's good because the devil can't take it out of your heart but what, what, what I want to turn to in, is Matthew chapter 5 and it c- carries straight on with the words that you've just heard and in Matthew chapter 5 th- th- there's a crunch point now Jesus had um, uh, chosen his disciples a few months earlier and John the Baptist was still in ministry and was still um, uh, proclaiming the, the coming of Jesus he declared who he was now as, as we come to this passage of scripture he's, he, John the Baptist has been thrown into prison and he is just about to be executed he's coming to the end of his ministry and Jesus had to wait for him to come to an end of his ministry before he could begin his own ministry of the kingdom now Jesus was a perfectly compliant perfectly uh, traditional Jewish boy up to this time you get certain little particularly in the, in the gospel of Luke but if you go into you know, other very reliable perfectly accurate sources you can get a, a picture of this but it's almost certain that Jesus went up to Jerusalem on his 12th birthday to become a bar mitzvah which you read about in Luke and from that time and when he was there he was already astounding the scholars at his understanding of scripture and what I want us to and, and, and the thing that, that I want to try and get across in just this short time is that he, he came to this earth not simply to die for our sins although it was a very important and powerful part of what he came to do 
that was completed actually in just less than 24 hours but he spent 33 and a half years on earth to get hold of 12 men and turn them into what we, he called apostles and from them the kingdom was going to expand until it filled the whole earth Amen God was working to a very very, very definite plan but uh, uh, and, and it's interesting to see uh, the steps by which he went through but the first thing I just want to mention is that he knew for reasons I can't go into I've got tapes and books I've got tapes on this subject is we've got to understand why Jesus uh, could not begin to move in power until he came to his 30th birthday it's very important on his 30th birthday so for 30 years he did nothing except wait for his 30th birthday because as a man he had to fulfill all righteousness as a man he could not become the, the, what the, the huios, the particular Greek word huios, the, the mature son of God until he completed 30 years of perfect obedience but during that time it's interesting to see what he did most of that time he was in the word because he knew that the day was coming when he was going to be ministering the word. But, and, and I want us to learn these things. See, I, I, when I, uh, I wasted the first 28 years of my life, um, and I was, some of you know this, I was uh, converted out of scientific atheism when I thought Christians were stupid. I was accidentally led uh, to read the Bible and get saved through two Mormon missionaries. <laughs> <coughs> And they got me reading the, the gospel. They got me reading the Bible. I began to read the Gospel of God, John, to dispute with them about what they were teaching because uh, I'd been sent to Sunday school as a kid until I was 14. My parents, my dad was a deacon in the Baptist church, and my I come from a godly Christian heritage, but I was uh, I, I rebelled against the whole thing. My grandmother uh, uh, was converted in the Welsh revival. Her name was Nora Jones, and she came from Wales. And she was converted in a little, little village called Hangochland in Wales. Had a powerful encounter with God. And from that day became a mighty intercessor. And she, she lived till she was 96. And spent the last eight years of her life in my parents' home. They were looking after her because she was too old to care for herself. And during those days where we, while we shared the same house, my grandmother began to realize the condition I was in. Because by this time I'd become a scientific atheist and had stopped going to church uh, when I was 14. Um, I wasn't anti-Christian. I just thought, well, you know, Christians might... You know, old people need something to lean on, but I, I can manage my life perfectly with myself. And, and I was not into sin. I lived a very you know, disciplined, controlled life. I, and, and, uh, and I was honest and integrous. In fact, I, I, in my view, I lived a better life than most Christians that I had seen. But I did it without God. It was, so my pride was stinking pride. My, my sin was stinking pride. Amen. I was, I was a religious, um, not a religious, but a self-righteous person. Amen. And, and this little old lady came into my life, my grandmother, um, when she was in her late 80s, early 90s. And she began to realize my spiritual condition and she started to pray for me. And one day she came to me. Um, with a little, she was only about you know, less than five feet tall, this little tiny little lady. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, Alan, I've been praying for you. And God, Jesus today, promised me 
that he would save you and that when you're saved you will serve him for the rest of your life she said I'm praying you to become a missionary and she said I got the word from Jesus today and, and, and that's, that, that's, that's the future for, you, for your life now she didn't pray hoping it would happen she spoke to me with, with the faith of that this is already a done deal in the spirit realm now she died two years after that and, and it was another year or two before her prayers were answered and I'm not time to tell the whole story it's in the book that I think it's still available here the good, if you've not read my book The Good Fight of Faith what's the problem? is it okay? but uh, uh, there I, I, I basically tell you the story of, of the 40, first 40 years of how I came to this place amen? So I, I came, so I was, I was converted indirectly by these Mormon um, missionaries getting me to read the Bible. And while they were getting me to read the Bible to teach me Mormonism, I started to read the Bible and was confronted with the person of Jesus Christ. And I began to read about him in John's Gospel. And I couldn't help but admire him. I couldn't help, be, I was captured by him. And then one wonderful day, I, 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 and my wife Eileen, we gave our lives to Jesus. I'm not time to tell the story, it would take, it would take too long. And, but I, I met Jesus. But one, one thing was very clear to me uh, was that if, if, if Jesus was the creator God that I'd just been reading about, and if, if he created me, it was clear to me that, that, that he had the right to rule over my life. Now, I, I don't know how I saw that, because I remember... <clears throat> in the process of, of, of praying or, or thinking these things through, talking to Eileen, she, she wanted a, a, a God who was there like a doctor. She, she said, she said I, I want to go to Jesus when I've got a need, but I don't, I don't want to get all religious. So she began more scared of me as a Christian than she was as a, I was a nice passive atheist. And she thought, oh God, you know, she, she thought, oh, I don't want my husband to become a religious fanatic. And I remember saying this to her as we were having now a, a bit of a, a row about this. It looked like it was going to ruin our marriage. It really did. And I said, look, I, I, I can't, um, I don't understand you. You say you believe in Jesus. You believe that he died on the cross. You believe all this stuff. I said, but you don't live any different to me. And I said, if ever I, if ever I become a Christian, which I never will, that's what I said at the time, at least I'd be a real one. <laughs> and that, I said, it's, it's obvious to me that if this story of Jesus, and, you know, is true, and, and all these events took place, they, they're historically true, and, and I said, then, then it's the most important news that ever hit the world. Well, if they're not true, it's not worth the paper that it's written on. I said, you, you can't have a middle position on this. So I said, I'm, I'm going to find out whether, whether God's real or not. And if, and, and, and if I do find him, then I'm going to become a real Christian. That's what I basically said. And the day came when that happened to me. And from that day, um, I, I, I gave my life totally to Jesus. And from that day, I could hear his voice. Within two hours of being converted, um, my wife and I went home. It wasn't, it wasn't in a public meeting. It was in someone's home. The last uh, bit took place. And we went back home. And, and she gave her life to Jesus. 
screaming and kicking about it <laughs> about an hour after I gave mine. So we both went home with with Jesus in our hearts, and I got I got home and 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 I was just sitting there, and I took out my uh, packet of cigarettes. I was giving gave one to Eileen. I was just about to smoke my first cigarette as a Christian when I heard this voice in my heart and it was so clear and I don't know how I knew but I knew it was God and all that he said was to me you don't need those anymore throw them away I thought oh and he said what's that I, I said God just spoke to me she said what did he say I said we're not to smoke anymore so I took out my took out my unsmoked I hadn't lit my cigarette I had it in my fingers took it away and I took hers <laughs> <laughs> without asking her <laughs> threw in the trash and said we're not to smoke anymore now I've never smoked since I ever wanted to and I've learned this as a principle is, is that when God speaks you know he, he means obedience amen another principle I want to quickly mention is this that uh, my, I, at that time I won't go into the reasons I left research at the Kodak Film Company and I was doing two years full time lecturing in a college of advanced technology Nottingham University England so I was a full time um, senior lecturer in that university at the time that this, all this happened and it happened to be at the beginning of the long summer vacation and I just finished all the exams and, and the students had just gone home and you know university lectures you get three months holiday where you're supposed to prepare for the next year Eileen was still working uh, we didn't have any children so she was going off to work and, and so I took her Bible I still didn't have one of my own and I decided I would read it and I started to read the Bible for um, probably 14 hours a day I had this sudden insatiable appetite to read just like Jesus Amen because I mean, Jesus was a man of the word and the Father didn't just wave his hands and fill him with the word he had to get down and study hour after hour after hour in order to become the man of the word which he became in his ministry Amen and as you probably know sometime um, uh, we don't know exactly when his father Joseph died because there were four natural sons born to Mary and an unnumbered plurality of daughters um, she had at least seven children after she supernaturally gave birth to Jesus in a natural way and so he as the elder brother became responsible to care for them when his father died so he became a carpenter just imagine that so he's, so he's working away as a carpenter He's, he's, he's having to provide for this large family and for his mother and at the same time getting ready for his ministry now nothing, nothing happened to make it all supernaturally easy it just meant hours and hours and hours of disciplined hard work amen and he was looking to that day when the day would come when his 80th when his I'm sorry his 30th birthday <laughs> I beg your pardon when his just about to start. His 30th birthday came. And he, he was working towards that day. I want you to sort of, you know, to get the, get, he's our model. Amen? And, and, and then, when John the Baptist completed his ministry and was, was taken home to glory, then the ground was clear now. And Jesus then began to teach the kingdom. He never taught the kingdom then. 
And it all really begins with, in the most fullest record of this, is in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew 7. The first time he spoke, um, and really, was, was, was on this occasion when he preached what is now called the, the Sermon on the Mount. And, 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 and I want you to see the setting of this thing, because what he, had, what he was now prepared to do was to change things. So if you work it all out, from his twelfth year as a bar mitzvah, and he went regularly to, we're told this in the Gospel of Luke, he went regularly to their you know, home synagogue in, in, um, in uh, Nazareth, and, uh, and he um, would stand up to read the scriptures, which was the privilege of every, every, every bar mitzvah after they were twelve, and, and there was a set reading every day which was pre- prescribed by the, by the uh, Jewish religion. It, it's so like Catholicism, so like Anglicanism. There's so many, many similarities. And for hundreds of years they've been reading these set readings. And there was, there was a set reading every Sabbath. And Jesus would, would often, it appears, stand up and, uh, as his custom was. And, and when he indicated his desire to read, then the, the ruler of the synagogue could say, oh yes, look, okay, young man, you can read the set reading today. And you just imagine being in the synagogue where Jesus read the scriptures. It must have been a fantastic experience. Amen? But there was, there was battles between the scribes and the Pharisees and the Essenes. The Essenes were a rather um, uh, fringe group that, that, that really believed actively believed in the coming of the Messiah and spent a lot of time on the, the, the prophetic scriptures concerning the Messiah. And, but, the, but, but the scribes and the Pharisees didn't like all that stuff because they wanted to keep it all dead and religious because they were well paid by the Romans to, uh, to keep the Jews quiet and, uh, and compliant to being under, the Jew, under Roman rule. And the scribes and Pharisees were cooperating. It's all there in scripture and it's all there in historians like Josephus and other places. It's all very carefully documented, all this. So you want to get the feel of this situation. So they didn't want anybody coming and rocking the boat. They wanted to stay under Roman rule, but have, have their freedom to be these very important dignitaries in the religious system which Judaism had become. And, and Jesus went along with that. For the, for, from the age of 12 to the age of 30, 18 years, he complied with all the traditions which his, father's, uh, which his parents had taught him, his father taught him, and, and what went on the scene. He never rocked the boat. Because, you see, there's a time when the new wine has to come. Amen? And once the new wine comes, the Bible says in so many places, it has to have a new wine skin. Amen? But there's no use trying to put new wine into the old wineskin. And there's no use trying to have, um, put new life into the old wineskin. Amen? And I believe this is just right where you are. And I believe this is exactly what uh, uh, John's been talking about. That God said, okay, all those years you were... And, and, and this is particularly true of the Spanish-speaking world right now. I mean, I've just had a phone call, talked to my precious wife... And uh, incredible things are happening in San Antonio, Texas, with, with, with now it's thousands of young people. Now, now I, I, I want to use the term young adults. It's not the kids. It's the 20s to 25s. And they are now 
fathering and discipling the teenagers. And there's a powerful move of God that's absolutely shaking our city. Now, I'm time to tell you the story, and it's not my, my story, but I'm, I'm telling you what you're going to taste it, and you're going to see it here. Amen. San Diego is going to have a powerful visitation of God and I believe it's going to it's, there's going to be a powerful move amongst the Spanish speaking people there's going to be one of the, the weapons that, the tools that God's going to use Amen and I could go on and on but we're on the edge of something so what Jesus then did was if you, and, and I, I recommend that you might like to read this carefully is that as he goes through um, the, uh, Matthew chapter 5 first of all he's now getting rid of all those traditions which are not biblical but have been falsely taught by the leaders of the Jewish religion that they are biblical and they've said for for centuries don't you read the, the Bible it's too complicated for you just let us tell you what it says and you do what we tell you to do because of we, what we say it says it's exactly where Catholicism and where uh, Anglicanism and all the other major denominations have gone including a great deal of Presbyterianism by the way and there's whole masses of rules and regulations and laws which have been introduced and expectations of dress and behaviour which have not in the scripture but they become legally required of you if you attend our church Amen? Now Jesus didn't do anything to, he, he complied with them until the day came when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit with power. He went away into the wilderness and had his 40 days uh, fighting and winning a glorious battle with the devil and he comes back to his own hometown. It's very interesting, he happens to, happens to arrive, happens in the purposes of God. He comes on the, the Sabbath of what is called the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets was a festival which preceded the, the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the time of harvest, when they celebrated the gathering in of the harvest. Hello. And the week before the Feast of Tabernacles, they had the Feast of Trumpets, where they blew the trumpets and basically announced that the harvest was now complete. Now we're going to celebrate. Hello. Now, on that particular Sabbath, the Sabbath of the Feast of Trumpets, uh, the set reading for the day was Isaiah 61. <laughs> but the scribes and the Pharisees had made a rule that the first nine verses of Isaiah 61 are not to be read because the, the, the Essenes had taught that this is the battle cry of the coming Messiah. And so, so they forbade the reading of every scripture, like Isaiah 53, they, they forbade the public reading of any of these scriptures which clearly portrayed and taught the coming of the Messiah. Because it caused too much trouble. And put them in danger of the Romans getting displeased with them. Hello? So, so just get the picture. Here's Jesus, he's been coming to this church now, faithfully, for, uh, for 18 years, just, just reading the scriptures. Everybody loved, oh I love it when Jesus reads the scriptures. He's such a lovely, nice boy. He's, such a, he's the perfect model of a Jewish young man. Everything's going fine. Until this particular day. Then he walks in after, so he's been missing for a few weeks. I wonder where he's been. Well, he's been away, getting, uh, get anointed with the Holy Spirit with power, fighting and winning a battle in heaven with the devil. He's now come to forcefully establish and advance the kingdom it's a totally different Jesus a Jesus they're not familiar with and I tell you a lot a lot a lot of traditional Christians are not familiar with the true Jesus 
they're familiar with what they were taught about him in their you know, Christian tradition. And it's a shock when the real Jesus comes on the scene. Hello. So he comes. And, 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 and the book, he stands up to read the book. You read about this and, uh, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke. And, 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 and when it's handed to him, he, he rolls it back slightly because it's set to start reading at verse 10. He rolls it back to verse 1 and starts to read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading the prophet of Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set up liberty to the captives, to loose those that are bound, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now notice that it's totally a trumpet out, a trumpet out for harvest. Can you see that? It's not that he's anointed me to have a nice little cosy meeting with my Christian friends, and we'll all cuddle together and enjoy each other. <laughs> Hello? And, and you see, Jesus is the perfect prophet, as he's everything. He also knew when to stop prophets, you know, and not to go on for too long. Hello? Why are you looking at me? Maybe, maybe, I, yeah. And he stops. He does not then declare and to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and he does not go on to say and the day of vengeance of our God because that's coming later so when he has said that then just to make it absolutely clear you can read it in your Bible it's all there he says today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears now that puts all those people on the spot because if this is true then they better get on their faces and worship him because Messiah has come. And if he's making out to be Messiah when he's not, then he's a blasphemer and deserves to be stoned. So suddenly, this lovely, friendly church for the last 18 years who've loved Jesus and loves his family, suddenly they, go, they get furious and they, they decide to kill him. And he just walks through the midst because it's not his time and, and is gone. Amen? Now the new wines come. Amen? And that's where, and, and if you read all the references to the new wine in Matthew, Mark, and Luke particularly, I think they're scriptures that we've got to become very familiar with. Because that's where we are right now. Amen? And, and, we're, and we're loving, and we, we, we long for everybody to come in, but there comes a point where you can't compromise the truth. Then you go on, and that's just a quick summary, and I, I, I go on in, into Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, he basically does three things. He, you see, when people have been religious for years, they've been trained to do the right things in the wrong way. Hello? And in Matthew 6, he deals with how we should give, how we, how we should pray, Amen. And, and, and he corrects the erroneous way and gives us the right way instead. And, uh, and, and I want us to now, if we may turn to that. Come to Matthew chapter 6. 
And, in the, and I'm, I'm not going to go. Let me just see. see. Sorry, I'm sorry, I have to look for it. And, and you come. I'm not going to deal with the, the giving, but I wanted to come to, to, to Matthew 6 6, which is when he starts to deal with the prayer life. And this is what he says. You know it. Verse 6, but, but you, and, and you, if you, if you do your things publicly, then you've got your reward. If you do it secretly, then you're going to receive from Father. Verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place. And the, literally, translation would be, who is already there in the secret place. That's what it literally says. In other words, what we're being told is that God is more keen to have a personal time with you and I than usually we are with him. That's the amazing thing. God wants a time, God wants intimacy with you. Do you believe that? And then he says, right, now I want you to practicalize this. I want you to, and I want you to designate, if you're not doing this already, then I want you to, to make, if you make this decision this morning, it's going to change you and change the power of this church. It's going to change San Diego and who knows how far it will spread. This is where it all begins. Every revival, every move of God has always begun this way. And, and I used to leave Eileen to do the praying because she's a great prayer and I used to be active, you know, running all the churches that we were responsible for. And in the end, God pulled me up and said, he said, confronted me with this. And this is one of the steps which led to the power that broke forth, you know, when we were at that time in the city of Mumbai. This was the step number one. He said, I want you to, I want you to find a secret place. Now, fortunately, I always have had to study for many, many, many years. And, I, and, and so it was obvious where my study was. In our home in San Antonio, both Eileen and I, we have our own private study. And we go there and each morning um, before six, certainly by six, we, we go to our respective studies. We don't, you know, we don't talk to each other because we, we want to talk to God. And I've learned that when I started to obey this, it became such a passion in my heart that now I, 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 I can't, I can't, an hour is not enough. And I spend two hours between six and eight pretty well. I mean, it's not an absolute law, and if I've been traveling all night or I can't get there, then I'm not, I'm not going to go to hell because I don't do it one morning. But it is my lifestyle. And if I can't get it in, in the first two hours of the day, I will, I will find opportunity during the day. My cell phone is off, nobody can reach me, and, I, and this is what I've learned, and it has absolutely transformed me. And I've, I've taught this for years now in many, many places, and the testimonies I have of, of, you know, of, you know, of what happens to people, businessmen, businesses, um, succeed when they fulfill the conditions, and also the fulfillment of the conditions of, of, of giving in the right way. Uh, marriages which were about to fall apart have been gloriously restored. I could tell you story after story after story of these tremendous things, of, of you know, uh, young uh, teenagers have gone off the rails, and when, once the 
one or two of the parents start this, then God comes and does a miracle in their lives. But he says, but primarily, it's because God wants it. And I want to ask you, are you doing it? And will you do it? I, I have testimonies, for example, of in, in San Antonio, where businessmen, you know, it, it's not, not easy sometimes because the kids are all going to school and there's chaos in the house. You know, it's not an easy time. So wherever possible, I think it ought to be the first hour of the day, but I'm not saying it has to be. For some busy mothers, once you've got all the kids off to school and husband off to work, you come home, that's the time then, you know, to, before you start getting busy with all the affairs of the day. But find that slot and find your secret place. I know some men in San Antonio have been doing this for years now, but what they do, they told me now, is that they drive to work um, an hour and a half before the office opens and sit in the car park and just, just have a praise tape on and, and worship God and they have the hour and a half of prayer and, the, and the, the car in the car park has become their secret place but you've got to find it and I want to ask you first of all the question is do you have a secret place and if not will you ask God to tell you where that secret place is to be and I, I have my own study at home when I, whenever I'm home and that's my or maybe the hotel room but when I began to do this this changed my life and it wasn't long before that that it led on to the next things. And I'm just going to say these in passing because I, we, you know, we haven't got that much time. And I want to pick on the, the main things. So, as I said earlier, Eileen would go off to work. And I would get the Bible and I'd start to read it through. And, and, and I, I read the whole Bible in about three months. So when I got as far as Hebrews... And I was making careful notes on every chapter, but my problem was that I was doing it with my intellect because I didn't know any other way. I mean, I, I was a, you know, very, I did a lot of reading on relativism and, 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 and uh, Greek philosophy. That was, I filled my mind with all that sort of stuff. And, and so, so I, 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 I came to the, to the kind of attitude that I, I could only believe what I could understand. I had to understand it. And so I began to read the Bible as, as this brand new convert, Eileen, just a few days old in Christ. Eileen was off at work, I was reading this Bible. And, and it was a funny experience reading the Bible. And I was using my best intellect to try and understand it. And I just couldn't understand what the Bible was all about. I was still a convinced evolutionist. And, and my whole, and whole mental attitude had been trained by years of education to, to be totally controlled by... You know, that, that basically that Greek philosophical um, uh, Plato and Aristotle and all that thinking and you know, looking, if you like, to discover the evolution of the perfect man which of course is the basis of Greek philosophy and, and it's, it rules all the intellectual establishments and the educational establishments of most of our universities in the western world right now and I was, I was a product of this I'm sure many of you have been through the same process. And after I've been reading for some, some weeks, I got us, and, and I, I mean, I won't go into the stories, but I, I, I couldn't understand a word of Isaiah. I didn't know what he was talking about. And when I read Genesis, I thought, well, that's just a fairy story. We all know that's not really true. When I read about Joshua making the sun stand still, I said, well, you can calculate mathematically what would happen. This whole thing's ridiculous. 
I get to Leviticus and all the, the, the blood, and I thought, it's like a butcher shop. What am I always <laughs> and, 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 But finally, I, when I got to the, the Gospels and began to read you know, the teaching of Jesus, then I began to wake up and to catch on. I thought, oh, this is great. But then God spoke to me one morning. He said, and, and, and he said, Alan, it was a long conversation. He said, Alan, you are not going anywhere till you change your attitude to my word. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're trying to read it with your mind. And then you've got a, good ed- got a good intellect, you've got a good education. But he said, I'm much bigger than your mind. And he said, the only way you're going to come to understand Scripture is, 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 is you've got to obey these three principles. He said, number one, he said, you're just a new convert. You're just a few. Uh, he said, I, wa- I want you to uh, um, uh, just, uh, I want to let me tell you what the Bible means. And he gave me three principles that I had to obey. Number one was that I was to believe every word of Scripture was infallibly written by men as they were moved by God the Holy Spirit. There was no fault in it. So I want you to come to total faith in the trustworthiness of Scripture. And I want you to make a decision to believe every word is true, whether you understand it or not. That was number one. And he said, he said now, spiritually, he said, you're just like a little kid. And, and he said, you've got friends who've got small children, and, you, and you've seen them, you know, little two or three-year-old boy, come and sit on daddy's lap, and daddy will tell them a story, and they'll cuddle into daddy, and he'll tell them a story, and whatever daddy says, they believe every word, never doubt it. He said, now that's to be your attitude. He said, so when you come to read the scripture, he said, I want you to come to daddy. I want you to learn to know me as a father. That's the most important thing. I want, I want my fatherhood to become an absolute reality to you. And you don't know what fatherhood is all about, but I'm going to show you by my fatherhood what fatherhood is all about. But you just come and cuddle into me, and, and, and I will teach you, like a little boy, what my word means. Principle number two, he said, when you go through the New Testament, when you go through the whole Bible, the whole Bible, you will find that there are many, many promises. And, and actually, I've counted them, and there are nearly 50,000 promises in the Bible. And he said, when you come to a promise... Claim it to be yours from that day forward. And then the third thing he said, when you go to the Bible, you'll find that there are many commandments. There's almost 17,000 commandments. And they're, they're usually in, in what's called the present imperative, which means that it's a, 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 a military commandment and the point of time is now. Does that make sense to you? In other words, you've got to have an attitude to the word that a soldier has to a superior officer when he tells him to do something. Yes, sir. Amen? And Jesus had that attitude to his father. And it comes out again in the scripture that when father said something to Jesus, in the days of his earthly life, he obeyed him with a kind of military precision. Have you got the picture? So those are the three principles. That is, that is, believe that the word's absolutely infallible. And like a little child, let, let Daddy God come and teach baby Alan what it really means. And as I, as I teach it to you, you're going to grow to maturity. And in the process, you're going to learn the whole importance of, of the father-son relationship. And then he said, claim every promise and obey every commandment. Now that was when 1963 was when I was converted. And uh, I've done that ever since. Amen? Totally changed. And he said, right, now go back and start reading the Bible all over again. But this time, let 
my spirit teach your spirit what it means. He says, you, you're, you're born again. You, your spirit's come alive. He said, now my spirit can, can teach your spirit it, beyond words what the scriptures mean. And, and it's what we, what we call revelation. Amen? So I started again. And, and as I read the first two chapters of Genesis, the three, three chapters of Genesis, I became a convinced creationist just by what the Bible said. I just decided to believe it. Now, uh, uh, and, and when, I, when I did that, when I started to live that way, that same morning, as I, I got on my knees and I said, oh God, okay, I've, I understand the principles and, and I'm going to live this way. I said, I'm going to step out on the, 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 the premise that every word of Scripture is infallibly true and, and, and that it's unbreakably true. And I can stake my life on it, the life of myself, my wife, and any children that I have, on the trustworthiness of this book. And I, and I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to step out, risk my life on the infallibility. I'm going to stand on your word like an unshakable solid rock. And then I prayed a stupid end to my prayer, but then I used to do it in those days. And I said, and I said if this book ever lets me down, even once, I'll tear up my Bible and become a Buddhist. Well, that was, what, 63 to this present time. It's, it's a, a long time. 52 years, is that right? 57 years? No, I can't, I can't work it out. But anyway, it, it, was, a long, it was a long time. Um, that was 1958, I'm sorry. I went to India in 63 as a missionary. It was 1958. So it's 52 years. That, that's correct. Well, sorry? I, I haven't become a Buddhist. And I've never torn up a Bible. But what I've got is I've got, I've got half a century of, of absolute cast iron evidence of how amazing and how trustworthy the Bible is. That's what I've got. But that morning as I made this transaction with God, kneeling in my, kneeling in my, my house, um, it was like God bent down, and I don't know how to explain this, but he, he rewired my mind to think like God. Hello? And all my years and years and years of, you know, philosophical thinking and all the, the way my mind worked, I can't believe what I can't understand, it all was washed away. And I came to a childlike simplicity. If God says it, that settles it. He rewired my mind to think like God. And it says this in Scripture. It says that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And, and I had this, this metamorphosis is the Greek word. I had, to, I had my mind metamorphosized. I died to a natural way of thinking and came alive with a new mind which could think like God. Amen? And if that's not happened to you, it could happen to you. I, I hope I can get across to you the transforming power that had upon my life. And then, I, then the other thing I wanted to spend a little time on is, see, my father was a, was a great man and, and he was very, very loving and caring for us, but he, he, was, he, was, he was totally um, uh, withdrawn in his business, in his, in his career, and, and, and we had no relationship. He, he provided for me faithfully, but I never, ever, ever remember ever going out, say, doing anything with my dad, and, you know, go out hunting, play a sport, or even just sit on his lap and talk to him. And, 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 I, and so I learned fatherhood from my father. And, and I was you know, shy, and, and I didn't do a good job at all with my kids. But when, when this happened, and I came and began to know the father, I began to see very quickly what a terrible father I'd been to my kids. 
who were now some of them were in their teens. And I went to all my kids and apologized. I said, look, I, you know, I, I apologize, but I didn't know what fathering was all about, but I, I'm learning it from God. He's become my father, and he's fathering me. And I tell you, I just, oh, it's just so wonderful to know the father. And and and, and I said, I want to just um, uh, ask for your forgiveness for not being a good father to you. And from now on, things are going to be different. And God was able to heal that relationship. And I remember my, my daughter... Rachel, when she was actually she was in her 30s, this was some time later, and she came to me and said Dad, you know, when I was a little kid and you didn't know anything about fathering, you never ever took me up on your lap and cuddled me and told me a story she said, Dad, I want to know what it feels like <laughs> she said, I, w- I want to get healed from this, so she sat she said, is my 32 year old mother of two sitting in my lap like a little kid and I'm just cuddling her and something happened between us which I can't describe. Amen? Now, I'm, I'm saying this because the, uh, the Bible says this, the Apostle Paul says this, I bow my knees before the Father, from literally translating the Greek, from whom all fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. So one thing we're told is that heaven's going to be filled with fatherhood. It's not just an earthly thing. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? And, and it all comes from the great father, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Jesus, because he was God manifested in the flesh, although he was never a natural father in the natural sense of having children, he was full of fatherhood. Amen. And, and, I, and, and you don't want to wait till you're married to stop trying to learn about fatherhood. It's something that we want to learn. And the, and the same thing, of course, applies to the ladies. It, it, it comes in the term of motherhood, but there's many, many similarities. But I'm saying that this, and God, of course, is the source of both the male and the female manifestation of this. Amen? And, and so, so whether you're a man or a woman, it, apply, but it applies to you. But, but you've got to know You've got to know that fatherhood. And, and, and Jesus came and, and, and is now beginning to put things right. And he's teaching them they've got to have this personal private, private prayer life. And, and then he takes the twelve and he starts to be you know, a, a, a father. Jesus had relationships with people at many different levels. He healed the multitudes. Amen? Tens of thousands of people got healing. He taught large crowds and sometimes it was 20,000 people like when he was teaching um, you know, on, uh, in scripture as we read it when he did some of the great miracles of the healing of the 5,000 when he was teaching for several days and they got hungry well there was roughly 20,000 people there because it was 5,000 men besides women and children Amen. now they had no personal relationship with him but they, they benefited from his teaching then we have a, a larger group which are called the disciples. And the largest number ever mentioned of disciples is 500. And they had a, a closer relationship with him where he personally, uh, they got to know him, he got to know them. But then the final relationship was, was, was the 12. Where, where he was a father and they were his sons. Amen? 
and, and also there's another number mentioned in Luke chapter 10 which is the, the, the 70 or some manuscripts say the 72 now I don't want to argue about this but I think 72 is better to me because it mathematically fits what I, believe, what I believe Jesus was doing was even when he was just beginning to father those men he was teaching them already how they've got to become fathers so he said, you get six each, and whatever I teach you and point to you, you point to them. So he was, he was training them for the whole issue of multiplication. Do you hear that? And so, uh, so I want us to get these principles. Well, as the father began to pour his fatherhood into me, and I still remember, um, I was in my study, this was in the, the Baptist church in Bombay, just before the power of God broke upon that city. It was one of the necessary steps. And as, as, as I was just there, I'd been gloriously baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is another as essential thing. And I had great difficulty with tongues, and I got through all the intellectual problems of tongues, and I was pouring out in tongues without any restriction whatsoever. These were all necessary preparations. And I'm just saying them in passing, but if you're stuck in any one of these places, then I want to get you unstuck. Because it's not just for you, but it's for all the people that you want to have contact with. And that, that particular morning when I was in the Baptist church in, in, in my having a private time and, and the scriptures had come alive to me in this amazing way but then this particular, this particular morning God the Father came and showed me the Father. Now John, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew um, I'm sorry Jesus said this in John chapter 16 and he, and he says, I've spoken to you about the Father in the best words that I can find. This is a you know, paraphrase of what he said. But he said, I know you haven't got it. He said, but when the Spirit comes, this is verse 30 of John chapter 16, when the Spirit comes, he will show you the Father. And then when that happens, and then he goes on between John 12 and John John uh, 17 he's talking to them about what's going to happen when the spirit comes and all the teaching all the, the words he's trying to explain to them which they've tried to understand with their minds they're going to suddenly become powerfully alive because he's going to show it to them by the, by the spirit, amen and he said one thing that's going to happen is he's going to show you the father in, in uh, Matthew and Mark and also in uh, Luke uh, we're told there that Jesus spent time after his resurrection with the disciples and he went through all the Old Testament prophets and showed them on every page how they prophetically spoke about him Amen and there's a way which that's happened to me when I read the Old Testament it's powerfully prophetically speaking to them the name Jesus is never mentioned but the Spirit shows it to you and this is something only the Spirit can do and that morning the Spirit of God fell upon me and I ran around my study like a crazy kid. I, I, I never knew, I never knew you could know God like this on earth. I, and I was crying out, Daddy, 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 my Daddy, my Daddy. I never knew I could know you like this. And, and, and this emotional, spiritual breakthrough just transformed everything. And, and, I, and I tell you the privilege of knowing the Father. And if these things haven't happened to you, I want them to happen to you. Now, sometimes you can do it through laying on the hands, but usually it happens between you and God in the private place, to be honest. 
I don't find many people get through in a... It, it, it depends what's happening. In the, if God's presence is in the meeting in the most amazing way, then anything can happen. I just heard... My wife was telling me that, you know, a little place in Wales, a, a friend of ours who was a missionary in India for years, she said there's a visitation of God going on there in the most amazing way. And people are coming from all over that part of Wales and having encounters with God the Father, God the Spirit. She said, it looks like there's another revival from Wales beginning. This is, this is right now, this is up-to-date news. And always got the same qualities, that, 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 that people get apart and, and, and get, get, get themselves into a place where they and the Father can have an incredible encounter with one another and then, then live that way. And I want this to happen to each one of you. And, and then, of course, the miracles flow and the healings take place. And we're going you know, to pray at every meeting if, if John's happy. To, I, I can give you stuff because I've, I've got stuff from him. And that thing, that... that, that call to come back to your first love is a very relevant call and, I, and God said exactly the same thing to me just about a week ago he said Alan he said you're not in the place you used to be get back into that absolute priority of that time of intimacy with me in the secret place and, 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 and I feel this is what he's saying to us at this time Amen and if we if, sure you really You don't see the coincidence. Do you, does anybody here see the coincidence? What was last Sunday's message on? Hello? <laughs> I remember being here last Sunday. Wasn't it last Sunday? What was it about? John 16, the spirit of adoption. Father coming and witnessing in our, as an experience, the Father's love. Right? He didn't know that's what we taught last Sunday. No. And he's done a much better job than I did. I'm happy about that. Do you guys see the exclamation mark? Do you see what God's trying to do here? And the whole call to intimacy in prayer? For sure we can come for physical healing. Absolutely. And everything else that God does through Alan. But let's not forget that experience is foundational to our understanding of God. So if you haven't had that experience and you're seeking it, everything he said today is an illustration, a picture that intimate, quiet time, that secret place is a place to encounter the love of the Father as mm. an experience and not as an idea. Mm. It goes far beyond a theological idea. So would you come when you come? Would you come with that in mind for those that hunger for that and need that? We want to pray that you have a greater growing experience of the Father's love. Well, let's move straight into it. Then. Do you want to take it, John? Yes, I do. I also want to, can you turn me off, please? I also want to mention uh, that about a, a month ago, the Lord put it into my spirit to teach you how to live out of your spirit, not out of your natural mind. You guys remember? How to live from the spirit of God out of your spirit, and then your spirit gets revelation of God, and your natural mind then uh, catches up with the revelation of God, because in the times we live in, we need the wisdom of God. The pressure that comes on us, we need the wisdom of God. And so when we learn how to live out of our spirit in that quiet time, letting God speak to our spirit. Remember that the spirit of the man is the candle of the Lord lighting all the inward parts of his belly. That's what Alan's been teaching on. 
So what I've been teaching, what Mark's been teaching, Alan has come and the spirit of God is saying the same thing. Living out of our spirit and gaining the wisdom of God and revelation of God is where faith comes from. And then we can live as sons and daughters in the earth. And uh, so this is what God is saying to us. And so the, the smartest thing to do is to respond and to come. So, so Alan, let's just go ahead and move into a time of uh, impartation and prayer. Would you like everybody to come down? And, you know, yes. If you want me, uh, let's, let's leave the healing, physical healing for the moment. And, and if you want just to receive this impartation, and um, whether it hits you now or later, it doesn't really matter. Amen. And then tonight, uh, we meet back here at 6 o'clock tonight, and we'll be praying for the sick as well. And yeah, we'll do it both, both, both meetings. We'll pray for the sick, because I, I feel that's what I, one thing I have to do. But I'm just going to say right now, if you want me to lay hands on you and, and give you an impartation, um, then I will gladly do that. And my, my cry is that you're going to, you're going to know the Father, that, and that, 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 and what I want you to also hear is that, that you have a responsibility, just this one thing before we do that, is then to, to have sons of your own which you be, which you father, amen? So that it multiplies. It's like in, in Ephesians chapter 4.11, we have the, you know, the well-known Ephesians 4.11 ministries, but it says that these ministries are to, to bring the body to function. You know? That's what it says. You know, to, that that, to, that they, these gifts are given. What's the, could you just read it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, God has Equip given the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Yeah, equipping the saints. In other words, if I am a, a real uh, Ephesians 4.11 um, prophet, I produce prophesying in many of the people. If I'm an Ephesians 4.11 evangelist, I produce an evangelizing church. I produce a lot of people who are moving in evangelism. So what I do is I impart to them, I train them, I teach them, I develop it, but they're all going out. And, and these, and this evening, I'm going to, the next session, I'm going to talk a little bit about you know, effective home groups or whatever you want to call them, and, and why and how they become effective, because this is the key that God wants to use. And, but uh, but, but I, I'm thrilled at how so many people have stepped out because of what I gave them and are now moving in a powerful way in ministry. And, uh, and you know, you don't, I, don't, I don't feel jealous. I, I praise God for it. Amen? And some of them are doing it better than I've ever done it. Which I think, you know, a proud father can be proud. His sons go past him. Amen? And when I use the word son, I'm talking about the ladies equally. You understand that. Amen? So would you like to do that now? Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's have, how many want to organize it? Just come, I think, a single row. And, and I want you to, be, I'm not going to push anybody over. But I, won't, I don't want, if the God touches you and hit, I don't want you hitting the chairs. Yeah.